Friends, I invite you to turn to two passages this morning. We will actually have two scripture readings. Um, one will be at the beginning of the message, and one will be at the end of the message. So two passages, so if you have your, uh, a piece of paper, a bookmark, or uh, your ribbon for your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the second passage, I'll wait till you get there first, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the second passage will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then I said I had some announcements before we get uh, started, so I wanted to let you know we're, this is kind of a one-off message today. Uh, next week, we also have another one-off message in the Psalms. And then uh, after that, which will be the 19th, we will begin a series on Amos. So we're going to spend about seven or eight weeks in the book of Amos. Uh, so we're going to the Old Testament. It's been a while since we've been in the Old Testament, not counting the Psalms. And um, so really looking forward to uh, the minor prophet of Amos in a couple of weeks. So I'm very excited about that. Um, about that uh, upcoming series. I think the Lord will use that to, to bless us. Uh, so now the first scripture reading, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Okay, now asleep here, let me just say as an aside, say asleep here is, is Paul's metaphor for those who have physically died. Okay. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the reading of God's word. We say, thanks be to God. So we, a couple of weeks ago, it ended our series on Second Peter. And Second Peter at the end had given some instructions about what we should do until Christ comes. What shall we do until he returns? And then a couple of weeks ago, Paul also talked about what we should be doing when Christ comes, until Christ comes, that we should be active in following what the Spirit is leading us to do to go and share the gospel with those around us. Today, we're going to be looking at more of what we are to do between now and to when Christ comes. And today, we're going to be focusing on Two topics in particular, death 
and life everlasting. Death, death and life everlasting. Uh, just with the events that have been going on in the past week and the news reports of, of uh, cancer diagnoses, and then as well, our baptisms that we had last week, um, where wasn't that a wonderful time to see those nine young people to get baptized and and what an, a what a wonderful treat that was for me to to look at them in the face in this very big significant moment where they were professing their faith in Christ and they were showing that they are dying with Christ and raised with Christ and so I've been reflecting on all of those things and was reflecting on on death and life everlasting. So this is what we'll be looking at today, death. But first, when we're talking about death, we need to talk about physical death. And so our bodies, let me just start here with, with our bodies. We got five kind of words to guide us in our teaching today. First, we need to talk about our bodies. Genesis chapter one says a lot about human nature and our human condition. The, the essential nature of man. Genesis 1 said, uh, on the pinnacle of creation, on day 6, he said, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, it gets into a little more specific that, uh, that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. Remember, he had just spoken all of the material and spiritual world into existence. And he had taken that and uh, formed man out of the ground and then breathed into him the breath of life. That's very significant because here you have the spiritual, this, this living being, but... We are also physical. We're material. And material is not bad. The material world is good. After every single day, the Lord God said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then when he created man, he said it was very good. We have to understand our bodies. God didn't just make us uh, ethereal floating spirits. These bodies aren't just prisons that we that we live in until we could go... Um, uh, fly away, one do, uh, uh, fly away, I'll fly away, oh Lordy, I'll fly away. He gave us physical bodies. And that they were created good. And that by and through our bodies in this world, we are in the image of God and we're endowed with dignity and honor. And we saw that a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 139, didn't we? When David wrote, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God made us with bodies, physical bodies. 
and we are to glorify God in our bodies. Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about the body, meaning the local church where his spirit dwells. But in chapter 6, he's talking about now specific individuals. Like our bodies, we are to glorify God in our bodies. But why then do our bodies die? Well, this is death. It's a reality. It's a result of the fall. Okay, God gave us physical bodies. We were... To, to live with God forever. But now because of the result of the fall. And by fall here I'm talking about what happens in Genesis 3. With the fall of Adam into sin. And his disobeying the command to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so the result of the fall then is through Adam all of us then physically die. 1 Corinthians 15. Passage we'll get to in uh, a little bit more in detail. Paul says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It's very clear here, both in 1 Corinthians 15 and then also in Romans 5, that everyone is in Adam. And the death that Adam died, all who are in Adam likewise shall die. For by that one man, death came into the world. In Adam, all die. Or Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because of one man's trespass. Death reigned through that one man all the way to us. And that one trespass led to condemnation, not just for that one man, but to all who are made in, his, in that image. So death comes for all. And you know the very famous verse, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why, why do we die? Because of sin. Death now corrupts this entire world. Sin and death corrupt this world, and our bodies will degenerate and die. But when we die, our soul goes to be with the Lord, if we are in Christ. And, and this is a very important part, to understand death, we will rise bodily from the dead when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. So this brings us to, to Christ, the work of Christ. Christ took on human flesh. He became the second Adam. Except in this case, he fulfills what God had commanded, God the Father had commanded him to do. He obeys perfectly and so gains righteousness. 
except he suffers and dies, but not for his own sin. He suffers and dies for our sin. And God, the Father, vindicated Christ by raising him from the dead. So this is the resurrection. This is the resurrection of Christ. But what's interesting about the resurrection is that uh, the resurrection of Jesus is a foreshadowing or a first fruits of the resurrection that we will receive. The resurrection of our physical bodies from the grave. When Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, returns to judge the earth, he will raise all of the dead bodily to life. And then he will separate them into two groups. The wicked, who will receive eternal condemnation, and the righteous, who will receive eternal life. This is taught even in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12. Famous passage that Jesus, I believe, alludes to. Where Daniel gets a vision. He sees that there will be a time of trouble. Such as never been since there was a nation until that time is what he says. And then he says these words. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is, I believe, what is behind Jesus's words many places most probably most famously is in Matthew chapter 25 in the parable about the sheep and the goats. Where he tells the story about having to separate the sheep and the goats. And he will place his sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then he says to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, Jesus ends, but to the righteous to eternal life. Jesus says something very similar in John's gospel, John chapter five. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, Jesus says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is referring to not just Christ's resurrection. This is referring to our resurrection, the resurrection, the general resurrection is sometimes referred to. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be fully renewed 
and glorified into the image of Christ. You will be perfected in a way that's reminiscent of his perfected and resurrected, glorified and ascended body. Paul stresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We won't look at the entire chapter, but he uses this metaphor of the necessity of dying physically because sometimes uh, we've gotten this question, well, then why, why, must we, why must we die physically if we're raised and in Christ? Why don't we just live, live on and on? I believe that Paul is answering this question in a way, and he uses it. It's a very kind of a, a, a difficult to understand passage, but he uses the metaphor of a seed. Have you guys have ever planted a garden? You ever planted seeds in the spring, right? You put that seed into the ground and it's buried. And then something happens to that seed in the ground and it comes back and it's transformed. It's now bearing fruit. Paul uses this image of this seed to say it's even kind of built into creation. This picture of what has to happen to our physical bodies, like a seed being put into the ground to which it's still the seed in a way, right? The seed didn't disappear and then a plant show up that you had this transformation take place. Paul uses this image. First, he begins with the question. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they, do they come with? How many of you have asked this, wondered what your resurrected body will be like? Paul actually got that question from the people in the church of Corinth. And he says to them, you foolish person, Paul just being, you know, his kind self, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Okay, this is now he turns to this, this seed bearing, buried in transformation uh, imagery. And then he goes on to say, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Our physical bodies. What is raised is imperishable. The physical bodies that will be raised from the ground are of a completely different nature. What is uh, sown in dishonor, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, he says. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, this is Jesus here, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. There's an order to it. You've got to have the seed before you have the plant. The seed has to get buried before it can come back to life again. The first man was a man... From earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. 
And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. There's only two individuals with whom all people can identify. The first Adam or the second Adam. And Paul here is saying the first Adam is a man of dust. But if you're in the second Adam, the second man, he's the man of heaven. So if you are connected to the man of dust, you kind of, that's what you are. Your body will not be raised into glory, will not be raised eternal, not be raised spiritual. It will be raised to be judged. But if you are in Christ, you're in the second man, then you're a man of heaven. As his body is, so your body will be, is what he's saying. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You have to be raised with a glorified body. And so Paul ends this marvelous chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens? Then we will have joyful fellowship with our triune God together with all of the the saints and his whole angelic host and his whole army. We'll be singing praises. We'll be serving him in a renewed creation with the imperishable, imperishable bodies that we have been given. That's what I've been thinking about over these last couple of weeks, thinking about the aged, the infirmed, the sick. What happens? This is what scripture tells us will happen. And why is that written in here? Why does, why does Jesus say these words? Why does Paul say these words to us? What's, what's the point? How should we live? Remember, we ended Second Peter with an expectation of Christ's coming. We, we looked at Acts chapter 1 on how we should be busy following the Spirit to share the gospel with one another. But I think uh, here is another one. How should we live? We should live in the hope of what is coming. When we're faced with sickness and death, all around those who are in Christ we fix our minds on the idea of the hope 
of the resurrected bodies we will receive at Christ's coming. And I think the overall flow of the scripture here in reflecting on that, the resurrected bodies that we will receive, is that it should be joyful expectation. A joy at what we will experience, body and soul, as we're made into the image of Christ. And so this leads us to our second scripture reading today. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A passage that that I love and appreciate very much. A passage that I used at speaking of my grandmother's uh, funeral. A passage that she had marked uh, quite a bit in her in her Bible. Second Corinthians chapter four. And I'll actually begin in verse 7, and it will go into chapter 5. Well, Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, quote, I believed and so I spoke, quote, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are uh, unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's here referring to our bodies as a tent, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Paul speaks about all of the difficulties that we experience physically in this life. He terms these as light, as momentary. Just merely a preparation for the eternal heaviness of the glory that we will receive in heaven. So our last word is is hope. Hope of everlasting life. Hope in a renewed physical body. Hope in, a, in an imperishable spiritual body. Paul's word to us is encourage one another with these words. Friends, would you encourage one another some day this week, sometime this week, reflecting on the, the fact that these These physical bodies will be put into the ground. But Christ will raise us. That is our hope. Will you share that? Let's close in a word of prayer. And let me read to you a prayer as our closing. Grant, O Lord, that we who are baptized into the death of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, may continually put to death our evil desires and be buried with him. And that through the grave and the gate of death, we may pass to our joyful resurrection. Through the merits of him who died and was buried and rose again for us. Lord Jesus Christ, by your death, you took away the sting of death. Grant to us, your servants, 
to so follow you in faith where you have led the way that we may at length fall asleep peacefully and in you and wake up in your likeness for your tender mercy's sake. Amen. Friends, we're going to turn now to mark the meal that Jesus gave us on the night that he was crucified, on the night when he did, in fact, die and was subsequently buried. And so this is for all who are believers in him, who identify with Christ. And so this is for you. If you are not a Christian, this is not for you. And no, no judgment if you stay in your seat. But if you are in Christ, this is the meal that we take to remind us of Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. And may it also remind us of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So I'll pray a word of prayer over this meal and then invite you to come take these and take them back to your seats. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this meal you have given us. We ask your blessing upon this bread and this wine, knowing that it represents the broken body and shed blood that is for our salvation. We receive this as tangible, physical reminders of that spiritual reality that you have so graciously gifted this to us to nourish us in the truth of the gospel and to refresh us with the joy of our salvation. That's in your gracious name we pray. Amen. Friends, come and take the elements with you back to your seats.
Hear the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the body of Christ. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the blood of Christ. And brothers and sisters, every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. And when he comes, he will come to give us our imperishable bodies raised immortal. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for our closing benediction. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.